Good morning, everyone. Let's try that again. Good morning, everyone. Much better. If you are visiting with us and looking around wondering where everyone is, do not be alarmed. A large group of our members have gone up to Ponderosa for family camp to spend the weekend together singing, praying, and enjoying each other's company. It's been a great weekend, a blessing for everyone. So we may be low, but it's for a good reason. The annual ladies' retreat is closing in fast. It is just around the corner. But don't you fret. There is still time to register and let people know you will be attending. This year is shaping up to be a good one, and you will not want to miss it. In our summer series, we have been studying our identity in God. Who are we now that we have been cleansed by Jesus' blood? Once we were sinners, and once we were alienated from God. But now, now we are his friends. Now we are his ambassadors. I have discovered a command of Jesus that warrants extra attention. In Matthew 5, 46 through 48, Jesus says, we need to be perfect, like our heavenly Father is perfect. Instead of being cheap and petty, we're supposed to be mature and perfect. Instead of loving those only who love us back or are easy to love, like the pagans, We have to rise beyond that and love those who are rude to us, just like God did. We need to be like God and not the pagans. Why? Well, because God is perfect in all that he does, and we should be too. Is Jesus serious here? Really? I'm supposed to be perfect as God is? Isn't that a lofty goal? Maybe it's just hyperbole. But it's not just in Matthew. It's it's in 1 Peter too. Peter is writing to those who have been persecuted for their faith. To those who are marginalized and strangers in the land. In the midst of malicious treatment, Christians are to be holy. Peter is quoting from Leviticus where God tells Israel to be holy like him and not detestable like the pagans. Being holy means several things. Often we don't know what to think when we hear the word holy. Perhaps we default to thinking of a halo on someone with their hands pressed together and singing in a high pitch. But let me remind you of the things that the word holy means. First, it means being set apart. There is something distinctive about us as opposed to the world. Second, it means being honorable. Third, it means being sacred. That is, being dedicated for a spiritual purpose as opposed to being dedicated to a worldly purpose. Fourth, it means being special. Each and every one of us are to be God's intimate companion, his special child. 
So what does this mean for us? We are to be perfect and and holy to the same degree that God is. Are we supposed to be perfect and never make mistakes? God doesn't make mistakes or sin. So I guess we can't either. Are we supposed to always act with maturity? God always acted graciously towards his people, so I guess we need to as well. Are we supposed to love those who hate us? God did. Are we supposed to sacrifice ourselves for the kingdom? God did. Because if this is true, then we have a problem. Being like God, while a very good goal to have, is probably impossible. James chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, tells us that if we break one part of the law, we might as well have, have broken all of it. You see, even the smallest infraction is still sin. And now sin has entered into our lives. It has set up shop. Even the smallest sin in our eyes is enough to separate us from God. It's enough to warrant the wages of sin, death. Romans 3.23 tells us that everyone has fallen There isn't anyone who can stand up and say, I've measured up to the glory of God. If God is so great, and we are so not, we've got a serious problem. And if this is the case, how are we ever going to be like God? Well, there's good news. Jesus. We know we're not perfect, and I suspect that being confronted with Jesus' expectations of perfection is somewhat unnerving. In 2018, an actor named Chris Pratt won the Generation Award, an award celebrating a career of of an actor or uh, an iconic movie series. In his acceptance speech, He comedically gave nine life lessons to live by. One of them was that we have a soul, and we need to treat ourselves as if we have a soul. Another one is that God is real, and that we need to treat this world as if God is real. But the last one, he said, people are going to tell you, you are perfect just the way you are. You are not. You are imperfect. But there is a powerful force that made you. And if you are willing to accept that, then you can have access to grace. And grace is a gift. And like the freedom we enjoy in this country, that grace was paid for by someone else's blood. Never forget that. According to Hebrews 10, verses 12 through 14, Jesus died once and for all and has perfected, has perfected all those who believe in him. Those of us who have put on Christ in baptism have been made perfect. 
Our sins have been nailed to the cross and we bear them no more. Our debt has been paid. Our slate has been wiped clean. Our dishonorable rebellion has been reversed and through Jesus Christ, God's honor has been restored. But having our sins washed away in baptism is only the beginning of our story. It is the story of a new creation. As a babe in Christ, there is still so much to do. As Paul preached Jesus to the Jews, he encountered stiff resistance, in part because the Jews were worried about the consequences of turning to Jesus. You see, to become a part of the Jewish people, you needed the sign of circumcision. Once you became a Jew, you needed to adhere to the Torah, feasts, and dietary laws, and avoid Gentiles. They feared that if the law would be replaced by faith... Sorry. Uh, You see, to become a part of the Jewish people, you needed the sign of circumcision. You needed to avoid Gentiles. They feared that if the law was replaced by faith, nothing would be in place to keep godly people from still being godly. Nothing would be there to teach us what it means to be holy. If there is no Torah, how would anyone know what it means to be holy? How would they know what God wants or how to be godly? What would it be that would drive us to be perfect? But even Paul himself did not consider himself to be perfect or complete. In the third chapter of his letter to the Philippians, he made it very clear that he still pressed on because he wasn't yet perfect. We know that Paul started out rough. He was persecuting the church. But we also know that Paul became one of the most influential and godly people in the early church. He wanted to be perfect for God's honor. But if Paul isn't perfect, how are we supposed to be perfect? How was Paul planning on reaching this perfection? The key, as it turns out, is God. We are imperfect beings who have been justified in the name of Jesus. Yet we are still imperfect humans who mess up. Daily, we are being sanctified through God's Spirit so that we might become more and more like God. Like Paul, we press on towards perfection because it pleases God and it honors him. Ephesians 4, 32 through chapter 5, verse 2 shows us a small but very important part of how God plans to sanctify us. We ought to imitate God. Jesus is telling us to be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect Peter tells us to be holy, as God is holy. And Paul tells us to fix our eyes upon Jesus, 
the author and perfecter of our faith, and imitate God. It turns out that the key to becoming more and more perfect like God is to act and impersonate Him in everything. What does it mean to imitate? It means matching your actions and character to someone else. We see this a lot, actually. We see small kids looking up to those who are older than them. We see elementary kids looking up to high schoolers. We see kids looking up to their parents. We see people on the job looking to others with more experience. In order to imitate someone, you might wear the clothes that they wear. You might say the things that they say and in the way they would say it. You might behave the way that they do and even show the same mannerisms that they do. Imitating means doing whatever it is in a way that you're not used to so that it clearly reflects someone else. If done right, imitation will instantly call to mind another person. If done right, there's no mistaking who you're trying to be like. In this lies our solution to our problem. How are we supposed to be perfect and holy like God? Through the transformation of the heart and mind by thinking and doing and being God. I'll be honest with you. I'm not Walter. (laughs) And although you might have already guessed that, uh, there's probably no way that I ever could be Walter. But I hope that what I've done here today for you is to at least show him clearly. I hope that I've accomplished the goal of displaying Walter to you. You may not know what to have thought (laughs) when I first started preaching, but I chose to preach this sermon today in a style that's not my own, with a cadence that's not my own, with body language that's not my own. And this is supposed to be a direct analogy of what God calls us when he asks us to imitate him and share his perfection and holiness. So there's a few key takeaways that I want to spend the rest of our time exploring today. Um, These are things that I have learned and or experienced while preparing for this sermon that I think Um, match our spiritual lives and our walk with Christ very well. Uh, The first one is that it's very hard to be someone else. It's hard to get everything right, for sure. It's hard to really impersonate someone, but it's really a question of how far you're willing to go. So you'll notice that there are things that I did and things that I did not do in order to be more like Walter. So I have the bow tie. I got that down. Um, I did some of the mannerisms, I did some of the, maybe the way that he stands, maybe the way that he talks, but there's some quite obvious things that I chose not to imitate. I did get a haircut, (laughs) but I stopped, well, I don't know if I can say stop short, (laughs) but I stopped, I stopped at a certain point and and chose not to keep going. I chose not to wear glasses, I, I, I I tried to do a goatee, I really did this morning, but it just didn't work out. But um, I decided not to do it, and I think that was the correct decision, but I was probably this close 
from buying like a skin-colored swim cap and putting it on this morning. Though the question is, when you're imitating someone, how far are you willing to go? And I hope that each and every one of us as Christians do not do what I have done this morning, which is stop short. Could I have done all these things I talked about? Yes, I absolutely could have. In fact, I could have actually just shaved my head entirely and gone all the way, right? But I chose not to. It's a matter of how far we're willing to go to be like someone. And I think this application is pretty straightforward here for us. Many of us are tempted to do what I have done, which is to give only the quick and easy things to God that don't really challenge or change the way we see ourselves. We've been talking about our identity in Christ, but I fear that many of us are comfortable with our identity that's not in Christ. And I think that a lot of us are a little bit worried to give these deeper things to God and let him change us because then we'll be people that we're not used to. We're going to be acting and behaving like someone else does, and that's uncomfortable. But I think a better analogy is to see ourselves like a block of marble. It is up to the sculptor to determine what his blank canvas should become and what it will look like. And so he will chisel away anything that does not belong until only a beautiful masterpiece is left, until a work of art is fashioned. And it's the same thing with us. We must let God chisel away anything that doesn't belong. And that will certainly be difficult. It's quite painful, actually. But it will certainly reshape the way we see ourselves and will certainly transform us into people more and more like God. Number two, it takes a lot of focus in the moment to act like someone else. And I'll be honest, it can be difficult enough to, to speak and to remember everything you're supposed to speak, but add on to that that I, that I need to speak and say it and do it in a way that someone else would do it and be consciously thinking of that <clears throat> is a little bit difficult. It takes a lot of concentration to be uh, concentrating on how someone else would do it. And this means that in the world, our daily lives are hard enough. It's hard enough to go through our life trying to do things the way we think is best. But if choosing the things that God would choose and acting the way that he would act isn't natural to you, then it makes those moments even more challenging. It takes a lot of focus in the moment to act like someone else and handle them the way they would do. Uh, If you've spent any time working with kids, if you've ever had kids of your own, It's difficult to get them to stop in the moment, realize how they're handling it poorly, and to try and turn that around and show them the better way to do it so that they can become more mature. Number three, it takes a lot of study to be that person. And I mean, you really got to know someone if you're going to try and imitate them. Now, I've been here in Albuquerque, less than two years, so I had to really accelerate this process of getting to know Walter better and better and better. And so, actually, for the past three weeks, I have been taking diligent notes during the sermons. (laughs) Unfortunately, it wasn't about the sermon itself, it was about (laughs) the things that Walter does. You know, how how does he hold himself? How does he talk? What kind of things does he say? How does he open? How does he close? All those things. It took study for me to actually be able to try and be like him. <clears throat> to get a better idea, I also asked other people who knew Walter very well, what, what kind of stuff does he do? 
And I had someone tell me that if you're sitting on the sides, you can see things that Walter does that you can't quite see if you're in the middle. I had no idea. And so that was a new perspective for me, and I tried to incorporate that as much as I could. I also talked with Zach. Shout out to Zach. <laughs> because Zach knows his dad very, very well. And so I asked him uh, different things about you know, when, when to do some of the hand motions and things like that. So it takes a lot of study to actually be able to Im- impersonate or, or uh, imitate them. And I think the same applies to our Christian life. In order to know God, it requires immersing yourself in him. This means Bible study. This means we need to delve into the word, into the way that God has revealed himself to us, to see who he is and what he's like. But there's more to it than just that. It takes the immersing part. We have to immerse every part of us, every part of our life into him. You can't know who God truly is without participating in Christ's death in his burial and resurrection, or without being part of the church, or without using your God-given gifts in the church. Our study has to be living. It has to live, and it has to breathe, and it has to be immersed in God. Number four, imitation does not come naturally, and it must be a priority for us. I've actually done this sermon once before. I wrote it when I was still... Uh, in my home congregation growing up. My dad is one of the ministers there, so I chose to impersonate my own dad. Uh, He's got some interesting things that really scream Scott. Uh, For one thing, whenever he preaches or whenever he teaches, he always has a yellow notepad that he handwrites his notes on. And so it's kind of iconic, and he'll always be kind of flipping through his notes as he gets through the page. And he never finishes them. He'll get through like point four of like seven, and then, oh, I've ran out of time. I have to stop here. Ugh. That's exactly what he would do, by the way. <laughs> so he never gets through his notes. He never finishes, and they're always on this yellow pad. He also has some other mannerisms that he does. But when I attempted to do this, I made sure and bring a big notepad. It was completely blank. I didn't need to have anything on it, but I just started throwing pages like this because that meant something. Um, There are other things that really scream Scott, but even though I am his son and even though I grew up around him for my whole life and even though much of who I am literally is because of him, I still had to watch and study him in order to pull off a good impersonation. Does that sound strange to you? To have to really think about imitating your own parent, the the one person in your life that you've spent all of your life with, and to still have to think about it. Though you could say, I am made in the image of Scott, I had to consciously put effort into studying him in order to get it right. That was new to me. That was one of the biggest discoveries that I made, is that it doesn't matter if I'm trying to impersonate Walter if I'm trying to personate my own dad. The process of trying to study them, the process of trying to figure out what makes them them is still sort of the same. It doesn't matter how much experience I have with them. It, what matters is that I am consciously and purposefully and prioritizing this and that I am making it happen. 
And I think a lot of us here today can fall into the same trap. I think a lot of us can look around and say, you know, I've been a Christian my entire life. I've, I've grown up in the church. My family grew up in the church. I'm just surrounded by Christian people. I mean, I should know God pretty well. But there's a difference between knowing God well and because you grew up with him and impersonating him and trying to be perfect and holy like he is holy. If you, if you knew my dad and you know me, you'd probably say, wow, you've got a lot of things in common. I'm actually used to hearing this. People have told me many times, you know, I saw your dad in you just now. To me, that's actually a good compliment because I think the world of my dad. But it's one thing to just go through life hearing this every once in a while, hey, I saw your dad in you today. And it's another thing to imitate him and to shadow him, to be spending all your time watching what he does and trying to soak it in and trying to make your own life that way. Because in my relationship with my dad, I know that I'm not my dad and I'm not required to be my dad. It's okay for me to be me. I know that I can do a lot of things the way he would do it. I know that when he offers advice, I'm open to hearing it. I know that I don't mind doing some things the way he does it. But I know that I can still be me. I can still be Addison. My kids don't have to be me. My kids don't have to be Addison. They don't have to do things the way I do. But it's not quite the same when we talk about our relationship with God. Because God calls us to be more and more Christ-like, not more and more ourselves. We're to be made in God's image. We are to be transformed into Christ himself. So what's the difference between going through life hearing that you occasionally resemble your father and imitating and shadowing him? Well, one of them comes from being biologically related, and the other comes from effort. Which do you think God asks of us today? It's not enough to vaguely resemble our Heavenly Father from time to time. No. We must imitate our Father so that He is clearly visible. So that every time someone sees us, they can't tell the difference between Jesus Christ and us. This kind of Christianity doesn't come from passively soaking up God. It comes from consciously vibrantly and diligently copying God anytime, anywhere, for anything. And it's something I want to very much encourage us to do. So we're leading to our identity challenge. This is identity challenge number the next one. Because <laughs> I've forgotten which one we were on. This, this challenge is for you to ask someone who knows you well, could be a friend, could be a relative, but ask someone who knows you how they are able to see God in you. Ask them, what is it that I do that looks like God? What looks like my Heavenly Father? What am I doing right? In what ways do I look like God? And you say, you know, I saw your dad in you today. But also... Take time to decide for yourself where in your life the reflection of God is the dimmest. Where perhaps it's harder. Where maybe we're not thinking about it in the moment and we need to. Where our reactions and our maturity just isn't quite the same as God. And then take that area 
and then give it to God. Talk to him about it. Tell him, Lord, my desire is to be like you. It's to say the things that you say. It's to do the things that you do. Ask him to let you hear his still voice through all the other noise so that you can be just what he wants you to be. Let's stand and sing.